Will you? It's official now. So quit saying all that stuff you don't want anybody to hear. <laughs> all right. So where did we leave off? Poor Cain and Abel. Of course, I guess we'd probably say Abel was the poorest, right? He got hit over the head with a rock for no reason, right? But Cain had it kind of rough as well. The last thing we talked about was God coming and questioning him. Hey, where's your brother? What have you done? And we, you know, we saw the thing where God seemed to know everything. And, and Cain was in big fat trouble, but he didn't have a really good attitude about it. Remember, am I my brother's keeper? Famous Bible line. Everybody knows that one, right? But now, the last thing God said was, the voice of your brother's blood is crying to me. That crying out, shouting. It's like, uh, it's a, it's a, they use that word for thunder sometimes. The, his blood was thundering out from the ground, right? And then notice we talked about how in verses 8 through 11, he mentions brother six times. Your brother, your brother, your brother. And that's why we say chapter 4, chapter 3 was the destruction of the relationship between man and God, and chapter 4 is the destruction of the relationship between man and man, right? At least that's what we see in these. So we're going to pick up at verse 11, and... Uh, Kim, you mind if we start with you? Sure. Do it. And now art thou cursed from the earth, which hath opened her mouth to receive thy brother's blood from thy hand. Okay. So, first of all, who's getting cursed in verse 11? Cain. Who was cursed before in chapter 3? The ground and... Satan, the serpent, right? Yeah. Yeah. Now, Cain. Cain is cursed. Okay? And this is interesting because when the ground was cursed, it affected all men. When Cain is cursed, well, I'm sure in, in some ways it, it affects others, but it affects Cain, right? And listen to the difference. When, well, actually, we haven't got there yet. You are cursed from the ground. You're going to be cursed by the ground or through the ground or in relation to the ground or something like that because the ground is the thing that opened its mouth. Again, do you see all that personification, right? Does the ground have a mouth? Can it open its mouth, right? No, but again, I, I, I point those things out because I want you to see if this was Hebrew, and if you could see it written, and, and you understood it, and especially if, if you were in this time and in this age, you would understand there's a lot of poetry going on here. This, this is a literary work. It's not just somebody writing down facts, right? So the mouth opens, or the ground opens its mouth to receive your brother's blood, right? It's not Abel's blood, it's your brother's blood. And I love this part. Uh, it opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. Who did this? Cain. Whose fault is this? Cain. Who is God making it clear to Cain that this all is on him? 
Cain, right? That's so great. God, I mean, like a good dad, right? He's going to go, you know what? (laughs) You can be as upset as you want. You did this. You did this. And I don't know, maybe all of us are too old. I don't know. But I I hear stories from like our local school system and things like this. There are a whole bunch of dads who no longer say this. In fact, if their son had killed another kid at school, they would be down there yelling at the school to get up off the back of their son. You have no right to be disciplining him. You have no right, right? It's crazy. What is up with that? Now, of course we don't want abuse, right? Our strength is not to be born by those we love. It's it's for them, to protect them. But it includes some measure of discipline and instruction, right? God's doing that. He's showing the example here. And that's something in today's society we can see is just gone, gone. All right, so you spilled his blood onto the ground. You're going to be cursed from the ground. Anybody got any comments or questions there? All right, verse 12. David? When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Okay. Now, what does that sound like? Does that remind you of anything? Shaking your head? Yeah, back in chapter 3, I guess. Chapter 3. Where, when they're told to leave Eden, yeah. that uh, they're going to have to work the ground. Right. The ground is no longer just going to give up its fruit. You're going to have to, you're, it's going to, there'll be sweat, work, paint, weeds. It doesn't literally say that, but that's what we always think of, right? Yeah, that's what it said there. So what is this? Is it the same? Is it less or is it more? Yeah. 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 Think of that. Everybody else, when they work the ground, if they're willing to put in the work, the ground is still going to produce. It's going to be awesome. For Cain, he can work as hard as he wants, and what's he going to get? Nothing. Well, and it was his livelihood too to go back. Uh, exactly. That's right. That was Cain's livelihood. That's what he brought his offering, his gift from, whether it was good or not, whatever. Yeah, everything is taken from him. So what we see now is that man is, seems to be on a downward trend, on a descent, right? And the pain, the trouble, the, the curse, whatever you want to call it, the consequences, they seem to be on an upward trend trend. It's getting worse and worse and worse and worse. I guess you could look at those as downward also, but right? So you see the, the, the story, the writer, they're doing that on purpose. They want you to see, uh-oh, everything's just descending into worse and worse and worse. It's bad, right? So that's the thing. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. And then you will be a fugitive and a wanderer. Well, what, what, what does that mean? It, in what way is Cain a fugitive? 
unjust act. He committed an unjust act. And then God told him what his punishment was going to be. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's, he's having to run from, so to speak, a fugitive, to me, gives you a picture of yeah. running from... Yeah. Uh, yeah, when we use the phrase today, we would say usually something like fugitive from justice. Someone who is, is trying to, to get out of actually paying for their crimes, right? But Cain is a fugitive, and in this case, that is justice. That's what God decided, right? So, very, very interesting, like, again, when we use words today that aren't used the same way they were used in the Bible, we have to take a minute, slow down, and say, well, how does that work? Why is he fugitive, right? And it's, he's on the run. That's great words, Terry. He's on the run. He's, he's out on his own. He's outside of I don't know what, like today we would just call it civil society or whatever, right? So there's that. And a wanderer. And so what, it's kind of interesting because what we see in the narrative generally, all across Genesis especially, well, and even less than that, it's more like the first 12 chapters of Genesis. We see that God wants man, mankind, humanity, to spread out. He wants them to go and fill the earth, right? But they won't do it. They keep clustering up, right? We'll see that more as we go. Afterward, that doesn't get talked about near as much. We'll see that as well. But here, he's a wanderer, and that's part of his punishment. So he's not just going to go out and, and like spread out the way the, the theme is running through the scripture. It tells you that he's going to be on his own. He's going to be more alone, right? At least that's what it says in verse 12, right? We're going to keep reading and we'll be like, what's going on? Dave? Just a quick, and I'm not sure what other versions have, but just to... Uh... On your fugitive word, uh, my NIV version says you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Oh. A little different than fugitive. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Restless wanderer. So what's the, just in your mind, what's the difference between a wanderer and a restless wanderer? Not a whole lot, really. Yeah. It's it's an interesting question, though, right? Anybody else? Well, when I was looking and thinking about it, I mean, he's been cursed uh, with respect to the ground. I wonder if God's thinking Cain may look for better places. Yeah. It doesn't matter where he goes. Yeah. It's going to be the same, so he's going to constantly be on the move. Yeah. I mean, so I, I don't know. Yeah. It didn't say that. But yeah. I was just thinking that. So. Well, and just think about the word itself. Just Dave brought it up. It's a great one. What does restless mean? Without rest. Yeah, yeah. How about that? Not still. Right. And yeah, everywhere he goes, he is unsatisfied. Nothing. He's not getting back anything for what he's putting out or putting in, right? And so he's restless. He's, he's, 
He can, he's going to be spending the rest of his life trying to make things work and everything will be futile, right? It's kind of, so that's good. Glad you read that out loud. That's good. Well, in the concordance, I mentioned that he was a farmer. So, you know, he yeah. up every day and he's got fields to tend to and this to do and this to do. <laughs> yeah. So, and, and most of us, you know, I haven't spoken to a lot with these guys, but most men kind of associate themselves with, with their work. Yeah. Right. Take it on myself to. to uh, I think I take too much of, of my work, you know, because I, a lot of times I put work before God. Right. And, and I'm just wondering if there's anything in that 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 you know he was a farmer. He he had work to do, and now he he doesn't have anything to do, so he's a restless wanderer. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I think that's really good. But one of the commandments is work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and he, he probably continues to try. Well, we'll see, especially as we read. He does something. But, yeah, the, the, uh, his livelihood, the thing that he was accustomed to at the beginning of the story was work in the ground. That's the thing that's been taken from him. And that's a really good point. Men, generally, we find a lot of identity in our work. And that isn't inherently a bad thing. You can't look at that and go, so men, straighten up and quit doing that. Well, I don't think that's the answer. But the other thing you said, yeah, you know, and throughout life, sometimes I let work take priority over God or or whatever. That's, That's the part that we have to be careful of. What are the things that we need to prioritize over even our work. Just name some. God was one. What else? Family. Family. Anything else? Friends. Friends. Basically, people, community, right? Whatever. Yeah. Now, does that mean that at the drop of a hat, every single time, you just, well, not going to work today. I'm going to help Fred with it. No. (laughs) No. You have to be responsible, whatever, but you know what it's like because we're all men. There's a, it's, it, it, let's say it this way, it's in here, it's inside. And we know when we're elevating something over another thing. We, we understand that and we have to try to keep priorities straight. That's something you're going to find, especially in the New Testament that Jesus talks about all the time is priority. It's, it's amazing. And I mean, I don't know how and when we'll get there, whatever happens, but it's, that's, it's a really good one. It's really good. Um, but so yeah, that's great. That's great. Uh, now just a real quick review, just to say things out loud. In Genesis 3, 17 to 19, there was sweat, there were thorns, there were thistles. But in this verse, There's nothing. There's no yield at all. Cain is just, he's working for nothing. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 24, God was veiled. Uh, They were separated from God. And here, Cain is supposed to be separated from men. Okay? So, that's the point of the story. That's what God says. You are going to be a restless wanderer and for all practical purposes, alone. The earth isn't going to give you anything right? So he's going to be stuck just traveling around trying to find anything hanging on a tree or or whatever, right? 
But let's go on. Rick, verse 13. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Yeah. My punishment is too great to bear. Well, who gets to be the decider of that? And here's an easy question for you. Did God make a mistake? Was he too harsh of a father? I mean, he killed a guy. I mean, come on, he killed a guy. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If Again, we talked about this, I guess, last week. God was being merciful, right? He was being merciful because what's the penalty for murder if we, you know, fast forward to Sinai? Death. Yeah. Cain also should be dead, but God was merciful. So uh, Cain says that my punishment is greater than I can bear. And that word bear, um, you might also use the word carry, right? That, that's another, that's a good image in our heads. Whatever it is you've just laid on me, God, I can't carry that. It's too heavy of a load, right? But I thought this was really interesting, that word punishment. Uh, does anybody have a different translation, different word there instead of punishment? Okay, my iniquity. Yeah. Now, does iniquity sound like a synonym for punishment? Or what's another word you'd use for iniquity? Guilt. My guilt. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's two very different things. Is it my punishment that I can't bear? Or is it my guilt? Right? Which is it? Well... What's funny is throughout the Old Testament, it would be my guilt or my liability or my sin. That would be, let's just say, the more common English translation, not my punishment, right? Now, in context, you could look at this and you could see why a translator would be looking at this going, well, God just told him, You know, this was going to happen to you, that's going to happen to you. And Cain's like, oh, I can't take it, that's too much. It makes sense in context that it would say punishment. But when you step back and you slow down and you say, well, could it be that Cain, after having committed this grievous sin and after having been caught and actually receiving his punishment, his consequences, his whatever... Is it possible that Cain is stepping back and saying, God, I, I don't know what I've done. I mean, this is, this is too much. I think about what has happened these last, what's it, 24 hours or whatever time has passed. I can't take it. I see my iniquity. I see my guilt. I see how much I've messed up. I can't take it. I can't take it, right? And I don't want to call it repentance. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it. But do you see how both of those angles, what, what's Cain really saying? Do you see how there's, there is some value in both of those? And I think when we read it, rather than try to decide, hey, which one is it? 
Which one is right? Well, sometimes it's good to just go, well, you know, if you read it this way, I think we can take these lessons. If you read it this other way, I think we could take these lessons. So that was one of those verses that I think is really good. You got something, Mike. Well, I understand what you're saying. I don't yeah. disagree with yeah. you. Where I struggle yeah. is, uh, with him feeling guilty, Cain never says, I'm sorry. Right. Uh, or apologize. Never apologizes. And, and maybe this is the wrong way to look at it, but when I look at this, I think of disciplining kids sometimes. They were more upset with us about what we were punished, I mean, the discipline, than, than what they'd actually done. Yeah. So, yeah. And I'm not trying to... No. Waters. No. No. See, this, this is exactly what this class is about. It's when you're reading your Bible, the fact that you are sitting there thinking about that and going, well, wait a second, right? And, and we can have debate or just conversation, whatever you want to call it, about what's really going on here. That's when the Bible starts to come alive. That's when it goes from a 13-inch black and white TV to 120-inch 8K HD, right? That's what we're doing. So that's excellent. Now, it's, we're actually going to complicate it a little bit as we continue reading. And so, Mike, okay. take your turn. Verse 14. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence, and I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. Okay. There's a lot of questions in here, but let's focus on what we've just been talking about. We were talking about, oh, my punishment is more than I can bear, which I think is a great translation. But we talked about, well, what about my guilt is more than I can bear? Oh, that's an interesting one too. Let me ask this question, Mike, just to continue the, okay. the, the conversation. When the guy's going, oh man, I'm going to be away from you and I've got to be a wanderer and all this stuff. And whoever finds me is going to kill me. What is at the forefront of his mind when he makes a statement like that? Is he thinking about his punishment or his guilt? Well, with that, I probably would say both. Right. Right. See? Yeah, see how complicated it gets, or I shouldn't say complicated. See how rich it is? See how vivid it is? Because we don't know really what's going on. I mean, on one hand, he could be going, well, I know what I did. And so every time I get around people, they're going to be able to see it. They're going to know. And all of a sudden, I'm going to be an outcast, or they're going to kill me, or you know what I'm saying? So that guilt would be working on him, right? On the other hand, he could be thinking, I can't get anything out of the ground. I can't do this. I can't do that. I'm going to be way more vulnerable than everybody else. And so people are going to take advantage of that, right? I can't take this. So again, both sides, you can see the stuff that, that must be going on in his head. And just remember, Cain, he's just like us. He's a human just like us. And so we, we need to just look for what kind of stuff is going on in these stories. How does that relate to our lives? Because, well, I guess we should keep going before we talk about that. But 
there's just, there's always more there than meets the eye. In fact, in Judaism, they have, they actually have words for it. And right at this moment, I can't remember what they are, but don't worry about that. They actually look at the text and they say, well, listen, there's the actual text. I mean, just the plain text. It says what it says. That has meaning. And then they go, however, that isn't the end of the story. There's another level down where we see something more in the text. There's something where it's trying to teach us a lesson. It's kind of like the way that Jesus says, thou shalt not murder. In fact, if you're angry with your brother, you've, you've sinned or killed him or you know whatever. It's the same thing. That, that's like that next level. You're looking into the text, not just for what it says, but what it's actually saying to us, right? And then they look and they say, well, there's a third level, right? Even below that. And it's, I don't even have a good example because basically it's, it's today I think we would use the word like, like it's something mystical, but in the, in the good sense. It's like it, in, in all of this, we're seeing something of the eternal nature of God and the, the big story and, you know, all these things. So we're by playing around with, well, what does that mean? Does it mean punishment? Does it mean guilt? What's going on? What does that mean in the story? We're sort of looking for not just what it says, but what it's saying. What is it really getting at? What, what can this teach me about God? Because really, I know, have you ever heard like the Bible, it's, a, it's the owner's manual for humans? Yeah, I don't really go with that. I, I, I think it's, uh, there is that aspect to it, but the primary purpose of Scripture is God. It's trying to show us who He is, not who we are. We know who we are, right? To some degree. I think this helps us see. But yeah, we need, we need to understand God better. So, all right, what are some other things in this verse, though? Uh, today, behold, you have driven me today, that word driven, it's the exact same word that we find. Anybody want to take a guess? They're moved from uh, the Garden of Eden, right? When they're kicked out of Eden. That's right. Behold, you have driven. Do you think the writer did that on purpose? Yes, he did. He wants you to see. Oops, they messed up, got kicked out of the garden. Now Cain is messed up worse, and he's driven away from even the ground. What? You've driven me today away from the ground? Wow. I mean, where is he supposed to go? I mean, he's still on the ground. We know that. But, right? They've ruined that relationship. It says, I don't know what your version says, but and from your face I shall be hidden. From your face is another way of saying from your presence. Right? Which is very interesting because... What can we infer? If, if this day Cain is being driven away from God's presence, well, what was it like before this day? Right? I mean, in Eden, heaven and earth were touching. God was with them. Not all the time, but it was, it was super intimate in that place, right? They were ruling together, if you want to say it like that. They get kicked out of Eden and that changes, changes pretty dramatically. And yet, something in between the garden and Cain right now, 
there was some relationship with God. God was still kind of around a little bit, and, and that is going to cease as well. So that's kind of a big deal. That's that whole thing of being a fugitive and a wanderer or a restless wanderer. Well, one thing that, that I, I see there, there is he doesn't see any reconciliation between him and God with those words. Right. Yeah, to him, it's, it's the end of the story. It's fatal, right? Yeah. Now look what you've done. My life is over, right? Yeah. Uh, takes away hope. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And, and my punishment is greater than I can bear. My guilt is greater than I can bear. What you've just done, God, you've left me hopeless, right? Now, I did. It's funny that I wrote this down here and not up there. For fugitive, I have to quiver, to waver, to stagger, or to tremble. And so that relates to that phrase, restless wanderer, a fugitive and a wanderer, right? Somebody who trembles, quivers, whatever. So that's interesting. Uh, But listen to this. I shall be hidden and shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. How many people do we know about? At this point, yeah, Cain's dead. I'm sorry, Abel's dead. So you got Cain and Adam and Eve. Who's going to kill him? Who is he going to meet? Right? Who's going to find him? It's completely whitewashed in the text. It, you can search and search and search. There's nothing that's going to tell you or explain to you where other people could possibly have come from. But apparently, somebody's going to find him and kill him, right? That's kind of shocking and surprising. Do you think the writer did that on purpose? And if so, what was his purpose? sure he did it on purpose, but I'm not sure what the purpose is. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, I bet he did do that on purpose. I just have no idea why. Yeah, yeah, it's a weird question, right? And then the last, the last thing I wrote was, Cain says, whoever finds me will kill me. Why? Why would Cain think that? I mean, I'm going to be out wandering on the earth. I'm going to be without any support from the ground. I'm going to be away from the face of God. Why would people see me and kill me? He I think he's at a loss of words. He's in such a state of mind that he is just throwing out statements. Yeah, yeah, just so hopeless, so... Hopeless despair. Uh, yeah, despair, it's just... Anything will come out of his mouth at this point. Yeah. Philip? I was just thinking that uh, in those days, they lived hundreds of years. He knew that there would be uh, children born, more children born to okay. his mom and dad. Yeah. And that uh, the earth would be populated. And uh, he's thinking, he's might say, I killed somebody. They'll come kill me. Yeah, okay. So so part of your explanation for where did all the people come from, he's not thinking there's a bunch of people out there right at this moment, maybe, 
but that certainly more people are going to come. They're going to continue to have children because they live so long. And so eventually somebody's going to quote unquote get him back for what he's done or something. Or maybe the surely there'll be another like me. If I killed my brother, somebody's going to, right? Yeah. And, and that's good. I think that's a big part of it. It's just projection, right? What do we as humans do? If we think and believe a certain way, well, we just think that everyone else does too. And so when people act differently than we would, we look at them like, what's wrong with you? <laughs> Why are you thinking that way for? Why did you do this? Or why did you do that? Because we're not all the same, but we project, right? We project our own knowledge, our own thought patterns, our own everything. We project it onto other people, expecting them to be just like us. And so there's kind of some of that, I think, going on with Cain as well. well. If I did it, surely somebody else would do it. Yeah? All right, any comments and questions on that? So is that kind of an... I could see uh, an atheist or a non-believer using that to say, look, it kind of shows that the Bible's not real. I mean, because already there's this big unrealistic expectation that he's afraid somebody's going to kill him when there's just Adam and Eve. So how do you respond to that? Yeah, uh, well, how do you respond to the fact that the Bible has this glaring problem of Cain worried about other people, and nowhere does it tell us that there were any other people or were going to be other people. How do you explain that uh, when somebody says, see, the Bible's not real? Um, I think if it were me, okay, and I'm kind of a smart aleck sometimes, okay, what I would actually do is take them to other places in the Bible and say, see, this doesn't make sense either. Oh, how about this one over here? <laughs> that doesn't make sense either. Well, how about this? This one says, uh, I mean, just an easy one. Like uh, this one says that there were two men with demons. And this one says there was only one. These guys are supposed to be eyewitnesses or, you know, something. I would take them to all the other spots and go, you seem to think that your Bible is this complete detailed fact book of everything that happened. And it's not. When you have eyewitness testimony that doesn't line up, guess what? That doesn't make it less reliable. That actually makes it more reliable. If you were a cop and you had four guys come in and, and give their story, if all four guys told the exact same story, what would you be thinking? Collusion. Collusion. Right. They made all this up and they're telling the same story. Right. But what if you had four guys come in and they told stories that were, you know, mostly the same, but they messed up on a lot of little details or somebody said it was this guy and it turned out to be the other guy or whatever. Then what would you think? I think we're probably pretty close to the truth. I think we know what happened because eyewitness testimony is inherently unreliable. That's actually more of a proof than it is some sort of uh, problem. So I would be showing them those issues and then I would actually say, listen, in the nicest possible way, 
You're trying to attack the Bible out of ignorance. You don't understand that this isn't a fact book. This isn't a list of events. This isn't an historical account the way you might try to read in school or something like that. That's why I'm focusing on, look, there's a lot of literary stuff going on here. When you read a history account, does it have chiasms in it? When you read a history account, does it have synonymous parallelism? When you read a history account, does it, right? I mean, you could put all of these things. When you're reading history, do you personify the ground or, or personify? You know what I'm saying? This isn't a history book. And if you're treating it like that, you misunderstand. It's the same way if you were going to fix your car, would you read a book of poetry? Yeah, <laughs> might as well. Well, yeah. or, or here's another way to look at it. If you had sitting in front of you two books and, you know, your, your goal was, well, I'm going to read one chapter out of each book every day. And one of those books was poetry and the other one was a chemistry manual. Okay. When you picked up those books and started reading, would you read them differently? Yeah, you would pick up that poetry and you would, you would actually be looking for what is Shakespeare trying to tell me? I mean, I'm going to read the words, but I'm looking for what's it saying, right? When you picked up the chemistry manual, you wouldn't care about that. You would just be looking for, look, Na means sodium. Doesn't make sense. But I got it, <laughs> right? N-A-C-L, salt, got it, right? You wouldn't be looking for what the chemistry book was trying to tell you. It's just facts. Well, it's the same with your Bible. So in the end, the thing that I would be telling them is, again, the nicest possible way, you're only displaying your ignorance and you don't know how to read your Bible. You're looking for discrepancy and problem and error where there is none. The same way you would do if you were reading a poem or something like that. Kind of makes sense? Yeah. Uh, whether they'd be convinced or not is a different story, but whatever. That's what I would say. All right. Let's see. Where are we at? 15? And we're on Philip. Yeah, go. But that and I said to him, that case, anyone who kills Cain is to be avenged seven times over. Yeah. Did you have more? Yes. Sorry. Okay. So Adam and I put a mark on Cain so that anyone who found him would not strike him down. Yeah. All right. So the Lord says, what you've just said, Cain, no, it's not going to be like that. I, I am going to show mercy. I'm going to offer you protection, right? Now, it isn't foolproof. Was there anything magical about that mark? I mean, did this mark on him, does it, does it appear to you that somebody could come up to Cain with a knife and just as they were ready to thrust it in his neck, it just wouldn't go? Was it a magical mark? 
No, it, it doesn't appear to be. It doesn't say anything like that. And God isn't really into the whole magical thing. But there was something about that mark that anyone could see. And somehow, I mean, if nothing else, let's just say it in the simplest terms. This dude was different. Whatever that mark was, it was different enough that people would be like, you know, I think we just need to stay away from him. <laughs> right? Just, I don't know what it is. Just don't go there. Right? Now, could it have been, you know, use my, my word, magical in some sense? Well, yeah, it could have. I mean, the text doesn't say that it wasn't that. But it just, that doesn't really fit with God and the whole story. He's not into magical kind of things. You know, supernatural is one thing, but that would be a little bit different. But whatever it is, however it works, it was supposed to prevent anyone from killing Cain. But then it says, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So my question is, by whom? If somebody came along and killed Cain, and they weren't supposed to because he had a mark on him, which, by the way, that shows you the mark couldn't have been too magical, because if somebody did kill him, he's going to be avenged sevenfold. Who's going to be doing the avenging? God. What does that look like? And, I mean, okay, so Cain kills his brother. God says, all right, you're in big fat trouble, pal. However, I'm going to you know, help you out a little bit, show a little bit of mercy. You got this mark on you. But if anybody kills you, I'm going to avenge sevenfold. Are you telling me that God is going to go kill seven people because somebody killed Cain? Is that what this is saying? Yeah. Necessarily, but some form of punishment. Yeah. Would be what I yeah. And if it isn't killing them, you, you'd have a new question. Well, in what way exactly are you avenging me if you're not, you, you know what I'm saying? What, what does that even mean? And why is seven times? What, what is that? Right? Does anybody have an alternative thought? What if we don't take it quite so literally? What could God and the text be trying to say? Well, he's still protecting Cain for what he did. Yeah, still protecting Cain. Protection and to me, you don't want to see another killing. But, right. Uh, God shouldn't want to see any more killing. Well, the thing before that on 14, I got a question. It says, uh, from my face, Cain's looking at it that he can't, to me, he can't go back to God for anything because of what he's done. Yeah. But I know God's not like that. It just shows because he's just saying. Right. He's going to protect him the rest of his life that he is. Yeah. Yeah. Cain is very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? I think he's 
<laughs> he's still blaming God. I think he's blaming God for everything he's done. Yeah. You know. Yeah, in a sense, we it does. It kind of looks like Cain is blaming God. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Or, and or, or he's not taking the blame. Right. He, you know. And how human is that? Right? Yeah, so true. Uh, yeah, from your face I'll be hidden. Uh, yeah, that, yeah, that's good, Kim. That's really good. I wish I had the microphone closer to you. Uh, yeah. Yeah, but that, no, that's good. You've got my mind spinning. That was awesome. Uh, okay, so... So back to the vengeance, though. If, if, if you look at this and you take it literally, you would go, well, gosh, I don't know. I mean, I guess God's going to kill seven people or something because, I mean, what's, how do you avenge death other than with death, right? That's kind of weird. But if you step back and say, well, okay, Paul's been trying to drive this thing home all through chapter four, especially this idea. Well, actually, we did it in chapter one a lot. We aren't just reading history. We aren't just reading a list of facts. We aren't reading data. It's a story. It's supposed to be telling us something. And we're supposed to be looking into it. I would like to introduce you now to what I believe is the first time in the scriptures where we see hyperbole. Does everybody know what that is? When somebody really exaggerates something, right? Like, I heard a comedian one time, and he said, somebody met me backstage, and they said, man, you mispronounce every word. And the comedian goes, well, that's kind of the epitome of hyperbole. <laughs> right? It's, it's really funny. But hyperbole, it's exaggeration to make a point. Is it possible here that God is trying to say, listen, you're worried. I get that. I'm going to put this mark on you. And now I just want you to know, I have your back. Okay. And, and how am I going to describe that? Man, if somebody actually came after you, if somebody actually came after you and killed you, I would do seven times as much to them. And then to Dave's point, does it really mean killing? No, it doesn't have to right? God, God can bring, and it's, this is an interesting thing. We talk about God's wrath a lot, and what we imagine is God is angry, you know, he's got red face, and he's going to punish somebody, he's going to get you, right? It's a very interesting thing. When you read through the scriptures, most often when it talks about God's wrath, what we see is people getting or experiencing the natural consequences of everything they've done. God's wrath appears to look something more like God's going to stop protecting them, keeping them from the consequences they so richly deserve. So when his wrath comes forth, you're pretty much just getting what you deserve, right? Now, it's not 100% true in the scriptures, but... That's a very common thing that's going on when you read about God's wrath. So here, I think uh, God 
when he says, I will avenge you sevenfold, he's, he's using hyperbole. He's trying to use picturesque speech to, to borrow from Reader's Digest, right? He's trying to show Cain the degree to which he has his back. Because what did Cain just say? From your face, I shall be hidden. And God's going, eh, maybe partly true, but I'm still going to be around. I'm still going to be there to protect you and care for you, right? So, I personally, I can't take that verse literally. I can't picture God going, well, if you kill my bud over here, I'm going to wipe seven of you out. That's like childish. There's no God-like quality in that at all. But for God to say, listen, I'm way bigger than you understand. I've got this handled. Trust me, I've got your back. You're going to be okay. And if anything bad does happen, believe me, people will pay in some just way, right? So there's another one. People looking at the Bible. God's, he's a mean God. He's an angry God. Is he though? Is he really? We have to... We have to hold all these things at the same time. When we say that God is perfectly righteous and perfectly just and without sin, well, we can't also say, well, yeah, and if he doesn't like you, he'll just kill you, right? Okay, somewhere in there we need to find, okay, but what are the circumstances? What's really behind this? What's really going on? Because you could look at Nadab and Abihu, I mean, they were in the temple. They just, you know, wanted to do some special stuff for God and fire comes out from the altar and consumes them. Well, that seems like he just killed them, right? But what is going on there? What, what's actually happening? This important, important questions. So anyway, I don't know. I got a bunch of notes on here. I got to see what I wrote, if it's any good. Uh, well, I had, okay. The only thing I didn't mention was the mark on Cain. Anybody have any thoughts about what it is? Because mostly I just go with, I don't know. It's obvious, whatever it was. Whatever it is, it's obvious. Yeah. I've heard two very wrong interpretations. Okay. One is that, that uh, he colored his skin. Oh. Racist people use Oh, right. He colored his and skin. The other yeah. Is yeah. A tattoo on him, and people who don't like tattoos use Oh. That. There you go. Yeah. So we've got the, yeah, yeah, that's good. Tattoos. Those, yeah, I haven't heard those. That's really classic. And that fits. People who want to tell their story and be offended and all that, they use those to, <laughs> that's good. I don't have to. on his face though, don't you think? What you would think. or something. Yeah, you'd think. Very noticeable. Yeah, face, forehead, something. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, Bible talks about the mark. Yeah. If know who has the mark in Yeah. If we were all teenagers in puberty, we would be convinced that it was a giant zit right in the middle of your forehead, right? That's the mark of Cain. But other than that, yeah, I got no idea. I don't know. It's it's a weird thing. What do we got here? Verse 16. Who's up? Jackie. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land Okay. Now, (laughs) so he goes away from the presence of the Lord, which 
Okay. Should we take that literally? <laughs> Can you really get away from God? Is God not in some sense everywhere? See, it's, it's a very interesting thing. On one hand, we could look at God and we could say, well, come on. He's, uh, he transcends creation. He's infinite. He's eternal. You can't take God and somehow stuff him into creation. You know, kid language, he won't fit. Right? You know what I'm saying? You, you can't do Okay. And I think there's something true and accurate and reasonable about that view of who God is. And yet at the same time, well, he was walking around in the garden. We know he's going to show up in the temple. We, we know he, he sees and knows everything. He knew what happened between Cain and Abel, right? God sees all. So even though he's transcendent and infinite and eternal and he won't really fit in creation, he's also always ever-present in and throughout creation in some way, right? And even manifests sometimes in what we would refer to as his glory, right? Some manifest presence of some kind, like the temple is the easiest example, right? So Cain went away from the presence of the Lord. Maybe from his perspective, right? Not in reality, but maybe from his perspective. And he settled in the land of Nod. Now, okay, we don't really know where that is. Uh, and, and actually, uh, uh, Jackie went with what would more be like the Hebrew pronunciation, Nod, right? But he went there. We don't know where that is. We don't know. Why does it even have a name? You know, where does that stuff come from? That's kind of like where'd all the people come from. But it says that it's east of Eden. And I'd like to, to point this out, especially in Genesis, you'll see a theme. Going east represents away from God. Now, does that mean that God was in one place and you literally could travel east from him or what? No, but... In the story, east represents going away from God. West, take a guess. Yeah, represents moving toward God. Kind of a weird thing. You'd never know it. Nobody, nobody writes, oh, by the way, when I say east, I'm trying to get you to think away from God, <laughs> right? But when you start piecing it together, you see there's a little pattern. That's what they're doing in the writing, right? And... Man, there just wasn't a bunch more in that one. Uh, My version says land of wandering. Uh, yeah, there you go. Yeah, the land of wandering, which, uh, yeah, maybe it isn't even a, 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 a real name, you know, like a, a whatever. It's just, that's where wandering happens. And that's great that it's to the east, right? To the east. Um, so I did have this question. We've already kind of talked about it. Is there anything about this verse that you think actually denies God's omnipresence? No. Can you understand how someone reading this might think that it does? Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's everything that we've talked about. The, the idea of, okay, but you're not reading a chemistry textbook or, or whatever, right? And it's, it's important for people to see and understand that. 
And this is why it's so good that we're going through it, because as you begin, somehow, some way, this group is going to start to affect other men, okay? They're going to have the same questions that you guys are, and they're going to have brand new ones. But now you're going to be able to go to them and say, well, no, hold on a second. What kind of a book is it that you think you're reading? You know, and, and you're going to help them understand a little bit better. Understand that, hey, when I read this, I need to get my Bible mindset on, right? I, I, need, to, I need to read appropriately for what I'm reading. So that'll be really good. Yeah, I, it just... It doesn't. Well, if, if we were all here, knew, I mean, didn't even know the Bible and just read where we're at now. Yeah. And not know God, we would say or feel the same way. Don't you say? I mean, if this is all we knew right now, didn't yeah. know what we know, God is merciful and forgiving and loving and, and who God is. Yeah. Uh, it, we would, well, we probably did feel the same way. Yeah. And yeah, and to your point, Kim, this have you ever heard somebody say, All you gotta do is read your Bible. It's I mean, it's all easy. It's just right there. You ever hear people talk like that? It is the worst thing I've ever heard about a Bible. You can't just pick it up and read it by yourself. This is why you hear Jesus talk about discipleship all the time. We always read about the disciples, right? Understand, when you say disciple, in modern lingo, all you're saying is student, okay? Jesus was the teacher, and the other guys were the students. Or Jesus was the master, and they were the disciple, okay? Same words. So, you need a teacher. You need a master. You need someone who has been trained and taught all of these things to pass it on to you. Now, it sounds like, well, that's awful because men are so bad at everything. You know, why would God make it so that I couldn't just read it, right? That sounds like a mistake, right? But that's another theme that you must understand in your Bible. God isn't doing this alone. Part of the reason that he makes man in his image is that he wants him to rule alongside. He's, he wants him to, to act in the same manner that God does. And so why does, why does Genesis chapter 3 focus on the relationship between God and man and what was lost? And then Genesis chapter 4 focuses on the relationship between man and man and what was lost. Because God's emphasis in the whole story is not just that God acts godlike, but that men act godlike. That we do in the image of Him, right? And so, uh, just the simple thing like, well, but how is this information supposed to be passed down? How are we all supposed to know this stuff? Having man get in the mix might sound like a mistake because we know what men have done across all of history, but that's the way God wants it. The Bible that you're reading, okay, 
Some people look at it like, well, yeah, there was some guy, he was sitting at a desk, there happened to be some parchment, there happened to be some ink and a pen or a feather or whatever it was, right? And all of a sudden they went into a trance and when they woke up, the book of Isaiah was there, right? That's not what happened. People sat down with, yeah, and one time I heard him say this, and another time I heard him say that. Well, he wrote this, he did write this little part, and they edit, and they piece things together, and they work this text to make it say the things that it says, right? So, in a sense, God is, how do I say this? Man is all over your scriptures. Now, I'm not arguing that they're not inerrant or, or you know, whatever things you might want to say. I think that I may hold the Bible in higher regard than most of any people you've ever met, okay? I love it just because of my personality, the way I'm built, all of that. But I'm not going to sit here and say, well, yeah, God wrote the Bible. No, he didn't. He had men do it. Men's fingerprints are all over it. And that's why you have things like, how come this says there were two guys and this says there was only one? Because men are involved, right? And that's true from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. And it's okay. It doesn't take your Bible and, and somehow remove it from its holy pedestal. It's still beyond comprehension how wonderful and beautiful and perfect it is in so many ways. But we don't have to be blind and act like men weren't involved in it, right? So anyway, same story here. Same story here. Uh, any other comments or questions? I believe this, but the truth is it's not, it doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, yeah. Two men, one man, you know, when you analyze both stories with two men and one man, the man didn't have anything to do with the story anyway. Right. <laughs> right. So, so there, you know, there's just some things aren't worth arguing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We can believe what we want. We can be convinced of whatever, but in the end... I mean, there is some truth. God knows, like, the actual truth, truth. But in the end, it doesn't matter. It's not like somehow, well, I believe this, and if you don't agree with me, you're going to hell. <laughs> what? Where did that come from? How does, how does that make any sense at all? The, what are the possibilities? If two people have an opinion, okay, either they're both right, they're both wrong, person A is right, or person B is right. So four possibilities, right? Out of those four, what's the most likely? Both are wrong, <laughs> right? I mean, come on. We're human. We mess this stuff up, but we're trying our best. And you got to go with what you think you know. And at the same time, you have to be, let's call it wise enough, 
to recognize, I've been wrong before, I'm probably going to be wrong again, and so leave room for someone to teach you something new. And there is where we have the greatest advantage, when all men try to put their heads together and, and we can sort of sift through and find the best of all of the arguments, all of the beliefs, all of that kind of stuff, we're probably going to get a little closer to the truth. That'll help, but it's hard. There's so much that, and, and I don't know how many of you all watched the, the show, The Chosen. The Chosen. Uh, but yeah. I think I'm watching season one the third time now. Yeah. And there's one part of it where Jesus is meeting with Nicodemus, and it's at night. Yeah. And, you know, you, uh, when we read that story, we're consumed with the words, but sometimes we don't think about how that happened. For example, if Jesus met, you know, in secret with Nicodemus, how'd the story get written? Right. Well, in the, in, right. in the movie, uh, Jesus is already uh, getting to a point where some people don't like him. So in the movie, I think it's Matthew and Peter are in the background providing protection and they're just what? sitting there and they're just listening to the story yeah you know so we don't there's so much we don't know right about how the bible was written uh because you can what if it was in secret how be like well let me just catch you up guys on what me and nicodemus talked about this right tonight. you know you just, right. there's so much we don't know exactly and that's that is such a great example nicodemus jesus having a conversation how did they know what the conversation was and that you, it, once you see something like that and you're reading through your Gospels, stuff like that happens a lot. I mean, you're reading this conversation and you're going, wait, how did they know? How, where did that even come from? And so you have to understand. Now, see, the Gospels, they are much more like the rest of your scriptures, the, like the Old Testament, let's call it, because they are an actual attempt at creating a story. You know, they're, they're editing and thinking and trying to make all the connections and all that kind of stuff. A bunch of the other books, like they're just letters. Not near as much of that is going on. You'll see Paul, he throws a little bit of that in every once in a while because he's a trained rabbi kind of thing, but uh, not near as much. You'll see it in Revelation. Obviously, John, you know, that was pretty good. Uh, you see it in the book of Hebrews. That dude was awesome. Whoever wrote Hebrews was, that is a great book. Uh, but yeah, your point is just, we get an unrealistic view of what the scriptures are when we put them on a pedestal with a bright light and a choir in the background going, ah, right? That's not what they are. But if you somehow try to diminish them, like they're not this awesome, wonderful, beautiful, perfect in their own way thing that are completely life-changing. And in fact, they, they are like a gift from God, the, the very thing that can show you who He is and who we're to be. If you somehow try to diminish that, well, you're going to run into trouble there too. You just have to have a realistic view of what these books are. And that's another thing. It's, it's not even one book. They're not all written at the same time. and It's, it's crazy. Yeah, it's good stuff, though. 
All right, where are we at? Uh, 17, is that uh, Terry? And Cain knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Enoch. And he built the city and called the name of the city after the name of his son, Enoch. <laughs> okay, more of the confusion. So, number one, Cain knew his wife. And we, did, we saw that with Adam and Eve, right? We know what they're talking about, right? Um, except, where'd she come from? Full-grown woman. So he married his sister. They had 11 toes. <laughs> you know, what, what, isn't this weird? And so people speculate about a lot of things. Go back to Genesis 1, and it says, Male and female created he them. Okay, now we know in the story of Genesis 2, he created each of the animals. Did he only create one? Now, somewhere in there we assume he made multiple, and even if he made them male and female, you know, we still kind of wonder, well, I mean, did he only make two? Or did he make many pairs, right? We, we don't know. It doesn't really say explicitly. Some people look back at Genesis 1, and they're like, well, I know in Genesis 2 he created Adam and Eve, but is this just the story of a couple of humans? Were there more, right? Were, were, there, were there only two that, that he did in the garden and then he created some outside the garden? Nobody knows. Everybody's speculating. They're just making stuff up because they want the story to make sense. There is no answer. And uh, what's the other one? That, yeah, Adam and Eve had more kids and, and everything came from there. It's whatever story it is you make up, it's probably as reliable as any other story that anybody else is making up because we don't know. We don't know, and it's okay. The point of the book isn't to give you all of the answers. Doesn't the word say that all human life came from Adam and Eve? In the, yeah. yeah. I think it's Paul who tells us that, right? Yeah. Yeah. So... If that's the case, then you got to go with, well, it seems that he married his sister. But what, why was she, or where, you know, where was she, how did, whatever. It's, it's just a weird story. And it's very jarring. And it's, it's kind of disturbing. Wait a second. There were only four people, and one killed one, and now he has a wife? Where did that come from? And then, uh, well, let's see. Let's, let's finish this. She bore Enoch, and he built a city, he being Cain. Cain built a city. Does that mean uh, when he was cursed, he was cursed to be a builder? <laughs> was he cursed to be a builder? That could be true. Yeah, yeah. So, he, first of all, you go, okay, how did he know what a city was? Where did he get the idea to build a city? Who was going to be in this city? Why did he feel like he needed, you know, multiple dwellings or, you know, whatever, little storefront, <laughs> you know, whatever it looked like way back then, you know what I'm saying? How did he know any of that? Where, where is all this coming from? He names the city after his son, Enoch. He got it from being banished. He got it from being banished. He was banished. He was a wanderer. Yeah. 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 Exactly. And think about that. This 
This is important. I'm so glad you brought it up. What was it that he was cursed with being? A fugitive and a wanderer or a restless wanderer. What's the first thing he does when he starts wandering? Settles in one spot. He builds a city. We're going to see this happen. Some more, right? He's not. And see, you would look at it and you'd go, but wait a second. If God cursed him, shouldn't it be impossible for him to settle in one place? I mean, shouldn't he be like, you know, unstoppably moved? Oh, I tried to settle and I, I woke up the next morning. I was in a new place. Oh, what happened? Right? But it, it doesn't work like that. That's TV magic or movie. You know what I'm saying? That we get these images that are weird. This is what God wanted for him. This is what he was saying. This is what you shall do. But he still was able to do what he wanted. Oh my gosh, doesn't that sound like God? Hey, if, if you want to be a Christian, if you want to be a son of mine, if you want to be a brother of Jesus, if you want to be in the image of God, here's how I want you to be as a human. Here's what it means to be truly human. And you see a lot of people that get born again, right? We'll use that phrase. And they do what they want to do, right? It's not impossible, right? God, God isn't just up there like a puppeteer pulling the strings and doing the stuff. You have a role. It's, it's so important. All right. Well, Dave, I'm not going to make you read all of this, but why don't you read verse 18 real quick? Uh, let's see. Well, shoot. shoot, that's a bunch of names. Yeah, <laughs> thank you. Here. <laughs> Yeah. Here, let me just read through it really fast uh, because I can mispronounce and not care. It doesn't bother me. <laughs> so, verse 18, to Enoch was born Irad, and Irad fathered Mahujael, and Mahujael fathered Methusael, and Methusael fathered Lamech, and Lamech took two wives. Okay? So, just so you know, we, I numbered these. Cain is number one. Then there's Enoch, Irad, Mahujael, Methusael and Lamech. Lamech was the sixth generation. Now, do you know anything about numbers and how they often are used in the Bible? If I said the number seven, what would you think in the Bible that meant? Perfection or com completion? Yeah, it's, it's, it's uh, fullness, that kind of stuff. What do you think six means? It's the number of man, yeah. Shortest seven. That's right. It's in. It's incomplete. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's incomplete, and so, so he's go. They're going through this genealogy of of Cain, and you only get to number six. Right now, he was the seventh from Adam, but he was the sixth from Cain, and the genealogy is going from Cain. And so a lot of people look at that and think, oh, well, there was, you know, the writer did that on purpose. He was trying to show Cain's line, you know, this was, 
this was the badness, and so I'm not going to give him seven. I'm only going to give him six. Go ahead, yeah, Mike. Don't you find that interesting? Because he's the father of Noah, who was a righteous man. I mean, we're not there yet, but I understand what you're saying. But yeah. eventually, God's going to use that lineage yeah. to save mankind. Or Is he? Save, well, he saves them through Noah's family. Definitely through Noah's family. Does Noah come from Cain? Cain was his grandfather, right? Oh, no, 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 it's farther up the line. Yeah, we didn't read read that next verse. Well, it's not next, it's a few down. Noah comes through Seth. Okay. Yeah, but Cain, I mean, still, there's an important role. We haven't read it yet. Um, This this last verse, looking at 19, man, we got to stop, it's late. Lamech took two wives... The name of one was Adah, the name of the other was Zilla. And <laughs> that was his first mistake. Yeah. 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 And think about it. He's the first one that we know of that took two wives, right? This is outside the boundaries, not what God wanted. Uh, and uh, he was number six in the generation, right? If you if you care about numbers, that kind of looks like an important thing. Uh-oh, he didn't. He's not number seven. This must mean it's something bad, you know, all of that. Um, We're going to stop there because there's important things to talk about with these next few guys. And uh, we'll get into that next week. But, oh yeah, we got an actual poem coming up. That's kind of neat. And we'll talk about Seth. And then I have, I also have a timeline for you. If you guys are interested and you want to look ahead into verse or chapter five, see a couple of the things in there. Uh, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna give you a printout that shows. Uh, well, you know what? I'm gonna do it now. Here, I'm gonna stop our recording. What is that? Let me get this. There we go. I'll stop the recording and then uh, pass this out, and we can go.